Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. So my moment came when I'm sitting in a patrol car with my sidearm in my left hand laying on my left thigh and separated from my wife. And um, suicide had been on my mind for a very long time. And in a moment, I stopped and I didn't pull the trigger. I said, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you can hear me. Um, I don't know if you're busy, but if you can do something with my life, you can have it. Otherwise, I'm done. And I believe in you because I choose to believe in you, but I need you to help me if you have something for me to do. And I surrendered. Nothing compares to the embrace I felt in that patrol car, which is really odd because it was just me in there. God had other plans for Adam Davis. He is a former law enforcement officer and FBI-trained hostage negotiator. He's also now an author of a book that he is hoping will help other first responders out there that are going through a similar situation to his. Today on Connections, Adam will share a little bit about his own journey, and he'll share why it's so important to have a resource like this out there. We're joined today by Adam Davis. He's a former police officer and the author of a new book titled Prayers and Promises for First Responders. So, Adam, I want to start with um, you have um, you're a co-author of a great new book called Prayers and Promises for First Responders. This caught my eye right away when Colleen told me about it when I was a young man. I was a volunteer firefighter for a number of years on my uh, hometown fire department. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your background as a first responder, how you got into being a first responder, what exactly you did and and that kind of thing. Yep. So back in um, 2009, I raised my right hand and swore an oath uh, to serve my community as a law enforcement officer and started off on patrol, uh, night shift patrol, uh, served day shift patrol, traffic homicide, criminal investigations, hostage negotiator. And um, and when I started, I'm going to tell you, I, I'd been married probably oh, right at nine years at the time and thought that I had a, a pretty strong faith. I mean, I grew up, uh, my parents divorced when I was very young and uh, my mother remarried a, a Pentecostal preacher. So we were in church, you know, somewhere around 12 or 13 days a week. And and uh, uh, anytime the doors were open. And uh, so I thought I had a pretty strong faith. You know, I thought I was pretty squared away. And I don't think anything can really prepare a human for some of the things that first responders see, whether you're, you know, fire, law enforcement, or the dispatchers taking the calls or paramedics responding. But uh, for me, it was, I was, towards the end of my time, I started looking for resources. And I wanted something that was, you know, from somebody that had been in my shoes and experienced some of the things I'd experienced. And uh, so Prayers and Promises for First Responders is just one of those products that was birthed out of that mission. It's one of several that we have out now and super honored to be able to work with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman on another book and very thankful for uh, for the team at Broad Street Publishing Group and uh, everybody that's been able to support it, people like y'all for helping us get the word out about the hope that exists for the men and women who serve. What was that like for you while you were in law enforcement? What were those emotions like for you? And, and was it a struggle for you to be on the job? You know, I found initially I had this sort of myth, I guess you could say that, you know, that faith makes you weak, that it makes you passive. It makes you soft on, you know, crime and you know, makes you not as good of uh you know, 
you can't be strong. You can't be aggressive like you need to be. You can't be tough. You can't have the right mindset. But what I found was that through everything that I had been through, that faith doesn't make you weak. It makes you unbeatable. And, um, you know, I went through this time where, uh, I remember, <laughs> I remember one day coming home and taking my gear off and sit down in the living room at home. And my wife was, you know, doing something behind me in the kitchen area or whatever. And, uh, I just stared at a blank TV and I remember saying, um, how was your day? And I remember this particular day, it was horrible. Um, it was just, it was a really bad day. It was a lot of gruesome stuff and I didn't want to relive it. I mean, it literally took everything I had emotionally to get home and and I don't want to go through it again. And she asked me, she said, and, and I'm paraphrasing this because I want to clean it up. But she said, when'd you turn into such, such a jerk? Because when she said, how was your day? I said, fine. I don't want to talk about it. And mm-hmm. I was really short. So my emotions were really, you know, I policing for me, uh, I could go and I could do 12, 15, 18 hours. No problem. The problem was, uh, to start with coming home and finding that balance. How do you turn it off? Mm-hmm. And somebody said, well, you can't turn it off. It's who you are. Well, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen police canines, uh-huh. but they can go home and be around the family. Like they're part of the family or they can be on the street doing work. Like it'll mm-hmm. blow your mind. So if we can train dogs to do that, uh, is it possible that maybe we're smarter than dogs and that we can train <laughs> ourselves to do that? So I learned. I learned, I learned that I had to be able to do that. So, um, hypervigilance is a real thing. And for me, that was an issue. Um, and, uh, but it just, it took a toll on my relationships and I let it, I mean, it was, it was on me. And, uh, I, I started drinking every night. I started drinking really heavy. Uh, I'm not talking about a glass of wine or a couple of beers. I was drinking beyond what anyone should probably consume. (laughs) And, um, and I was using it to cover up, you know, being raped as a little boy and mm-hmm. as a teenager in the church mm-hmm. and then all the things I was seeing in law enforcement instead of taking it before the one who said, I'm your healer, bring me your burdens. I tried to carry it on my own and that becomes really, really burdensome. It becomes really tiresome and it can lead to a lot of other issues. And so that's one of the reasons why we've, you know, I've, I've committed my life and my mission to providing resources to men and women who serve in any role of first responder uh, community to help improve their spiritual resiliency because it's one of the key pillars to, you know, a resilient life. What would you say helped you along the way? I know I have a friend who didn't experience what you experienced early on in life, but in the force, he was in the force for 15 years. He just retired at 37 yeah, 37 years old, because like you said, it led to drinking, it led to drugs, it led to problems in his marriage. He's now left the force completely retired, not working. What has helped you to get to where you are? Uh, well, I have to preface it with this. Um, there are, there are uh, a lot of people who believe in God, um, and there's a lot of people who know Scripture, but, you know, even demons believe and the enemy knows scripture probably better than most of us. Yeah. So what separates the enemy uh, from followers of Christ is total surrender, total surrender. You can know scripture and believe in God and not have a relationship with with Jesus. 
You can, you can know all the things and lack all the power that you need to live a victorious life. So my moment came when I'm sitting in a patrol car with my sidearm in my left hand laying on my left thigh and separated from my wife, um, my best friend. And that's, you really have to know the background. Like she is to this day, my best friend. And I'm thankful that we'll celebrate 22 years together this year. But then I, we were separated and I felt completely helpless. And, um, suicide had been on my mind for a very long time. Felt like better off dead, uh, better off had I never been born. Everybody else would be better off. They, they might be sad for a while, but they'd be better off. And, um, and in a moment I stopped and I didn't pull the trigger. I said, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you can hear me. Um, I don't know if you're busy, but if you can do something with my life, you can have it. Otherwise I'm done. I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. And I believe in you because I choose to believe in you, not because of any other reason, but I need you to help me if you have something for me to do. And I surrendered. And in the moment of that patrol car, I don't know if you've ever hugged someone that you love and someone that loved you back, hugged friends and family, you know, and that's such a wonderful embrace. And it's a great feeling, but nothing compares to the embrace I felt in that patrol car, which is really odd because it was just me in there <laughs> and something, something happened that day. And, you know, it wasn't like an immediate, everything was perfect. Um, but there was a, there was an obvious change and it was in my heart and it was because of surrender. And, um, and from that day, it's just been one step at a time, one day at a time, one breath at a time, one moment at a time. And there's still days I struggle. I still have some moments when I struggle, but I have a system in place to have people I can talk to. Um, and I have a, I have a heavenly father that I can call on any time. And it's just being real. It's being authentic. It's recognizing the pain that you're feeling and knowledge in it, but, but don't try to ignore it and suppress it. But, you know, in that moment, seek the healer instead of trying to be prideful and care it yourself. For me, it was total surrender. That's the key. Total surrender every day. You, you mentioned like how difficult this all was on your wife. What advice do you have for spouses and family members of first responders? What do they need to know and understand about what that job entails and what they're facing? I think a lot of it is, is, is empathy. Um, and, you know, back to marriage, first of all, um, you, I don't know of a single person who got married just so they could get divorced or even worse, live a miserable life together. You know, at one point you were best friends. And what do best friends do? We support one another when we're going through something hard. But for some reason, we've got this idea about marriage that's supposed to be miserable and dry and boring and, and just horrible. And instead of it being a, a partnership, a team, like I've got your back and you've got mine. And remember, empathy can go a long way. Put yourself in your spouse's shoes or their boots. Um, be kind, lead with love, uh, give them a little bit of space when they get off duty, uh, to sort of decompress, have a conversation about how you can help them decompress. If there's a, if there's a routine that you'd like to establish, communicate with each other throughout the day or throughout the night, be friends, be friends, uh, at the center of it should be love. 
I mean, absolute pure and perfect love. And I'm going to tell you something. Um, I believe God puts people in our life to show us what true unconditional love looks like, like mirrors his love for us. And that's what he's given me in my life. And I'm so thankful for her. And we need, we need people in our life who won't give up on us when we're really, really hard to love yeah. or when we're hard to put up with. And, and that's what marriage is supposed to be. It's supposed to be till death do us part. And a lot of times it's until trouble does us part mm-hmm. or until trials do us part or until trauma does us part instead of until death does us part. And we got to get back to the point where we, we fight for each other and we realize we're not fighting against each other. What about those who are maybe currently in the academy looking to become a first responder? What is your advice to them? You know what? You're, you're making a commitment. Um, you know, when I started uh, right up until the day I left, I thought I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing this. You don't know what tomorrow holds. A lot can change in a year. A lot can change in a month. A lot can change uh, over the next five years. Um, you know, commit to it. But don't you put that before the family you have at home. If you have a spouse, if you have kids at home, the team that you have at work when you go on duty should be supportive of that family at home and vice versa. But they should never take priority over the ones that you committed your life to. There will come a day when you will hang up your badge, you will hang up your gear, and you will walk away, and you will be a number that will be replaced. But at home, there will come a time when you will lay on a deathbed And if you're given the privilege of a moment of reflection or regret, don't let there be regret that you didn't give your family your best and that you gave your best to a work that was temporary. That calling is for a season. It's not your purpose for life. It's for a season. Your purpose is to love God and to love others. It's summed up right there. The work that you're doing is for a season. It may be for 25 years. It may be for five years. That's not your identity. Your identity is who you are in Christ and the family you have at home. With uh, with the book that you have, Adam, what are your hopes uh, for people that read it? That it leads them closer to a walk with Jesus. That it leads them to a, to develop an appetite for for God's word. You know, most of the people who have read <clears throat> my book, Behind the Badge, 365 Daily Devotions for Law Enforcement, I say most, a lot of people, I'm not going to say most, a lot of people have never stepped foot in the church. They've never, they don't even own a Bible. Uh, I'm not here for people who go to church. Okay. You hear, hear, hear me loud and clear. Uh, Most people who go to church would turn their nose up at the way I do things because I'm here for the people who are outcast. The people who walk into a church and say, man, I have, you have no idea what I'm dealing with. You have no idea what I saw last night. I had to fight for my life last night. And I feel really bad when I'm in here or whatever the case is, for whatever reason, maybe it's tattoos, maybe it's past sins, whatever. I'm here for the people who are broken and I'm here to bring them into a relationship with Jesus. And I want them to find and develop an appetite for the things of his word on their own. And so that's what I want them to find for this is relatable stories my method of how to pray, which I've patterned after what Jesus taught us in the New Testament, and then uh, scriptures that will cause them to want to read more and learn more about who he is. Because I'm going to tell you something, when, when you have somebody tell you about Jesus, it's one thing, but when you have someone that leads you to him and you can figure out who he is for yourself, it's a different story. Because that's where your life change happens is when you surrender to him, when you find him. And he's in the word. You'll look for the word. 
If you read the word, he'll reveal himself to you in a powerful way. We're living in a time right now where there is some animosity toward police officers, whether that be down in the U.S. or up here in Canada. We're feeling it all around. Yep. How does this affect police officers and first responders? You know, I think for a, for a lot of people, it, you know, they, they realize that there's always been a, a certain part of society, namely criminals, uh, who don't like cops. You go back to school. I don't know if you ever had hall monitors in school. Nobody really liked hall monitors, okay? Mm-hmm. Because you couldn't sneak to the bathroom or you couldn't sneak out of class because they, they, they were looking for you. Uh, and, and there's always going to be people who push a political agenda. There's always going to be people who, and there's going to be bad cops. There's bad cops, bad teachers, bad preachers, bad doctors. Uh, doesn't take away from the fact that it's a zero defect in a profession. You have to be perfect. We expect perfection from air, airline pilots, right? You, you can't just blame an airplane crash on a pilot's bad day. Um, you got to be able to be perfect. And so, uh, you know, I think that, you know, you hear a lot of negative on social media and in, so, in, in mainstream media and the news and whatever, and that can take a toll on anybody. You know, they're human beings. They're human beings. Men and women who put on that badge and, and, and serve in law enforcement, they're human beings. And so it will have an effect on them. But they, they, they demonstrate what selfless love looks like because you know why? They put their gear on and they go to work for people who hate them anyway. They go and they do it anyway. They put their life on the line for people who hate them, period. Now, here's what you don't want. You don't want a, you don't want a society where good cops don't exist at all because there's going to come a day when you may have your worst day and you're going to need them. And you want to be able to call on in your moment of greatest needs on your worst day. And in your worst moments, you need them. And so I think as a church, you should be praying, Hey, God, send men and women who are going to answer the call to serve in law enforcement, uh, send men and women who are going to answer the call to serve in, you know, as a firefighter, or paramedics or dispatchers, whatever the role in first responder community, send people who will say yes and send me people who have hearts to serve and hearts to love. Uh, the world has not changed greatly. Uh, in the fact that there's good and there's evil. There are different dynamics. 50 years ago, 60 years ago, there were people who hated cops. There's always going to be people who hate cops. We just see more of it now because of social media platforms and political agendas. And, um, and, and we have to get back to the, to the reason why we said, yes, send me. I'm here. Send me. And we can't let the external noise distract us from the reason why we do what we do. Tell us about the book, how we can find it, and maybe how we can find you online and stay up to yeah. date with things you're doing. Yeah, and I hope you do. It's, my website's theadamdavis.com, T-H-E, adamdavis.com. Book's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and I'm really not sure where else, but I'm sure it's a lot of different places. But uh, you can go to my website and learn about anything you want. I'm on Facebook and social media and Instagram and all those great places. So I'd love to hear from you, love to connect with you. And, and uh, you know, I hope that prayers and promises uh, for first responders will have a positive impact. It will remind men and women uh, why they do what they do and and the reason behind what they do. And that will help them in their darkest hour uh, because there will come a day when everybody has to battle demons. And I want you to know that if you're battling yours alone, you don't have to do that alone anymore. There's people who will help you. And if you need help, if you need the help, reach out to me and I'll plug you into some people who can give you some good help and lead you down the road to healing. 
thank you so much for making time for us this morning. Yeah, thank you thank so you. much. And thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.